Standby like use 2 through 33, sound 1A through 7 on deck. Standby Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you 2 and sound 1A. Go. From Arizona Theater Company, this is Hangin' Focus with your host, Sean Daniels. As someone that grew up in Arizona, it's a great way for us to share the work that we do worldwide. And featuring co-host Chanel Bragg. That is our responsibility, is to reflect what is going on in the world. Streaming live from the State Theater of Arizona. Let's do it. Let's really use this moment to re-envision our... Welcome to Hangin' Focus Live with Sean Daniels. This is the new Arizona Theater Company. I'm just glad that you're here. On today's show, Sean sits down for a conversation with the winner of ATC's 2020 Latinx Playwrights Award, Ileana Pipes, ATC's own playwright in residence, Elaine Romero, and winner of ATC's 2021 Latinx Playwright Award, Rachel Lynette. Oh, one of the most exciting days of the year. Chanel, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you, Sean? I'm good. I'm good. All right, so let's Let's walk through this for everybody. Should first we bring out Elaine just to talk about what is the award and how Absolutely. we got here and its history? Absolutely. Let's do that. Um, but first, hello, Elaine. We just <laughs> want to give you a big shout out um, before we jump into the award and just really thank you for your work and your dedication of the award thus far. I don't know for any of us because we've been doing Hanging Focus for a year now, so you might have heard us contextualize this in previous um, episodes, but Elaine has been holding this award down for like the last 20 or so years. And so we just want to say thank you uh, for being such an integral part of our organization. And of course, um, this is such an important piece of ATC's history, this award that you've helped us nurture and foster over the last, uh, you know, again, 20 plus years. So does this make 21 now? <laughs> I, I I hesitate to count. <laughs> I like to stay in the moment with it because I just don't want to go, oh, it's been, no, it's something like that. Yeah. And what's beautiful is we've been holding down this award and we're so ahead of the conversation. You know, we've been having this conversation for two decades and <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited that, you know, now the world is catching up with us and saying, one minute, we love Latinx writers, where are they? And we can say they're in our history, they're in our mm -hmm. bones, they're in our DNA. And I love that about this I award. love that, woven in our DNA, actually. <laughs> well, and I think, Elaine, that's a real compliment to you because that's, you know, representation is something that I believe in and Chanel believes in, but we didn't we didn't work here before a couple minutes ago. You know, so you were you were pushing this forward for decades, right? In terms of when I think people we're unsure if it was something we were going to support or who were we. You have always made this the front and you have made this your mission to make sure that these voices are not only lifted up, but celebrated. And, you know, I mean, I'm great friends with Christopher Diaz and he totally talks about this as a game changer for his career, like that it opened up doors and it got him into places that he had not been before and people took him seriously and read his play a second time. And so... You know, it's it's not just an award, I think, for the right person at the right point in their career. It really changes uh, what the future is for them. And that's thanks to you, right? It very easily, <laughs> in the middle of that, could have disappeared. That's true. And, and you kept well, it going. Well, thank you. you for it. Yeah, one of the things that I really think is, like, if a theater is thinking about a play and then they see it wins this award, it just gives that little stamp of approval, like somebody gave this a national award. It's actually an international award and we have had people from Mexico win. Um, mm -hmm. But this idea that, you know, oh, somebody else saw this play. And I think, 
a lot of times it is the one little final push to get a play over the finish line. And that's us, you know, we just push playwrights over the finish line. And I love doing that. You know, it's like, I think generosity is a really important part of the work that we do in the American theater and holding each other up. And, you know, I'm so proud of our playwrights over the years. And we only have a couple of plays that haven't been produced yet <laughs> out of all the winners. And I don't know how that happened. But that is, to me, just a beautiful thing. And just to think that so many playwrights have had their work transformed or been able to move into full production with really beautiful theaters uh, because of this award, that just makes me feel like it's really worth the work that we put into it um, and to give our stamp of approval and to know that these voices are now a huge part of, this the of the theater in the United States, that they're not some peripheral thing, they're not some afterthought but they are integral to the United States. And, and that was the goal from the beginning and that's what we're doing. You know, I have to jump on in terms of historical context because when we had um, uh, one of our other staff members, Chris, Christopher Pena on, he was sharing actual statistics of how even in 2021, how there's a lack of representation with, with Latinx playwrights. And I think the statistic he gave that was alarming to me, so it still hung with me, was less than 3%. So when you think about the history of this award and how long we've been giving it, and it's like, it's obviously improved from whatever it was before to 3% to now. And so that really does show how ATC and our history, and along with your support, Elaine, of course, at the helm, we've been ahead of the curve. And maybe we've been able to influence that to get to the 3% that it is, and we've been consistent. So you can imagine if more people are involved in that effort. Of, of really supporting and uplifting the work, how much we can drive that representation further forward. So I love to be ahead of the game, um, but then also this is a call to action to everybody that's listening that we need to do mm -hmm. more. We need to do more because three percent is not nearly mm -hmm. enough. Yeah, I mean it's interesting when we talk about statistics. You know, just my own reflection as a playwright, like the environment in which I've grown up as a playwright, in which I've put my work out into the world and how playwrights have to ignore statistics and just creating, keep creating from the heart. Otherwise they would just give up in despair. And I think that giving an award to a playwright is saying, don't despair, we see you, we hear you, your voice matters and you know, you have a sound and we want everybody to hear that sound. And I think that's what this award does. Well, we're not by ourselves today, are we? We have some friends. No. <laughs> the waiting room is full of people. Yeah. Room is full. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, would you like to introduce our first guest? Well, which order do you want to bring them out in? Which I think Eliana. Okay, go ahead, Eliana. You want to... Yeah, our winner from last year. Hello. <laughs> So uh, welcome to the show. Now, here's what's exciting. You were on with us last year, right? We all loved your play. We, we left being like, I hope a lot of people do this play, right? Mm -hmm. That's how the conversation ended. Where, where is that conversation yeah. today, one year later? Uh, one year later, I'm so happy to say that there is a world premiere of Dreamhouse on the books. But yeah, it was the winner of the Alliance Data Prize, and so it's premiering in Atlanta, and it's going to be a co-production with the Alliance, Long Wharf, and a third regional partner that has not yet been announced, and so I won't blow the secret. But the play is headed to production on, on the stage. That is that, amazing. Congratulations. That's so amazing. And, and we are just, so excited. Yeah, and I guess maybe we could give some context. How how often do people think like a play gets written, wins an award, and then gets a multiple city world premiere? 
how I mean that happens how often would we say? Never? So, barely ever? It doesn't happen very often. This yeah. is the first time it's happened this rapidly after the award has been given. Eliana yeah. is a first. Yeah. Well, and that's a testament to how good good the play is. So the play we're speaking yes. about everybody in context is her beautiful work, Dream House, which mm -hmm. I actually got to use. Um, I was in a cohort meeting yesterday and we were talking about um how you assert value. Um, and, and transgenerational asserting a value. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing play that really like hunkers down into that very um, respect and talks about the, the beautiful relationship between these two sisters. And so do you mind giving just a little bit of a synopsis for, for our audience about your beautiful play and what it entails? Sure. Thank you. It's so meaningful to me that you like brought that up in another space. Thank you. That's so I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was encouraging them to check out the workshop whenever we. we, we <laughs> Um, well, Dreamhouse is about two sisters who inherit their family home after their mother passes away and decide to sell the house on an HGTV style <laughs> reality show. Uh, and the sort of turning point of the story is that the home is in a gentrifying area. And so they're sort of hoping to profit off of the changing neighborhood by selling the house when they do. Uh, and so there's a lot of sort of big questions about like culture and, and capitalism and the sort mm -hmm. of changes that we make and the relationship that the sisters have between each other and then also with like the gaze of this camera and this TV show that gets sort of increasingly more surreal and unhinged as the play goes on. Beautiful. Thank you for that. I love the play and it's, and House has a money sign for the ass, yes, just for those you. who are Googling. That is not a, that's not a typo. That's, that's intentional. Dreamhouse with the dollar sign S. I actually have to thank my mother for that. That was my mother's oh. idea. Really? <laughs> that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, she got it. She really, she had a fabulous idea. All of the best ideas are my mother's. <laughs> and what's great about this place, it's also transcendental. So I feel like you literally could keep it in its vein as a play or Netflix could call you tomorrow and it could also be adapted. <laughs> I mean, you know, knock, knock on all the things. So uh, that's a testament about like how it could cross so many different platforms. Like I just remember reading it and I was like, yes, this is incredible. I love it so much. So thank you for submitting to us. So when when is first rehearsal of this amazing national tour of, of goodness that's happening? December 28th is first rehearsal. Oh, it's right around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. In, in theater terms, that's like tomorrow. Like theater doesn't do anything quickly. Yeah. And in the academic terms, that's the end of the semester. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We, we have a whole life between now and then. Yeah. Wow. Well, have, have you started to see mock-ups of like the set or costume development or anything that's like got you so like geeked? Because this is the first time you're seeing your work like actualized. So. Yeah, there haven't been any, we've gotten like little stage breakdowns. It's fun because we have to figure out something that works for all three stages. Um, mm. So there have been ground plans, but that's as far as it's gone. There haven't been sort of designs yet. There was a, um, a wonderful production at Ars Nova Antfest and then a university production at CSU San Marcos. So I've gotten to see tastes of it fully realized, mm. but I've sort of like along with the process. Both of those Antfest productions and the San Marcos production happened without me. Mm. Like I was oh, in another mm. state. 
So for this one, mm. I'll finally get to be actually like in the room when the decisions are being made. I'm so excited. That's great. So Marcos has a beautiful program. They're really great. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a long history of recognizing Latinx writers too, which is really cool. Yeah. Wow. Who's directing? Lori Woolery. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Lori's amazing. Yeah. I was really glad and so wonderful, like so happy to be working with her. It's been really a dream. Yeah. She's been somebody that's been sort of like on lists of, the, mm. of mine for, for sort of directors to work with for a long time. And so I'm so glad. I'm so glad too. That's, that's really great news. You're in excellent hands. <laughs> So let's now take a moment and transition to this year's winner to announce who it is. Oh yeah, you got, you got something else? I do, I do, I do. Just right before, right before. <laughs> so yeah. I would like Eliana, while we're in this moment with you though, to give us like, when you first found out that you won the award, right? Uh, what was it like for you when you received that? And then what has that confidence or what has that done for you to move forward and how you are writing more pieces or how that's like affecting, you know, your relationships with all these new theaters that are picking up your work? Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, I mean, it was such a huge relief and a huge joy. It's always for a playwright so scary to, you know, write something and not know if it's ever gonna find a home. Uh, and so to know that the play had gotten recognition on that scale was so meaningful to me. I had, of course, heard about the prize um, forever. I, I feel like it's that that 20 year history really does it well. I knew that it existed. It was something that I knew about before I even like took my own writing that seriously. Uh, and I knew the winner of the year before. Um, and and so it was it was such a thrilling moment, especially because I found out near the beginning of the pandemic. And so it was at this moment when sort of like all, it felt like all the wells of theater had dried up and, and like there was going to be no theater world to return to, which of course thankfully was not true. And it was before Zoom theater and all of these sort of innovations that have come forward. But in that moment, it felt like the whole theater world was shutting down. And the prize really felt like a life warning. Like there is a future for the theater. There's a future for this play. <laughs> there can be a future, you know, around writing like that. And like mine, and so it, it was really, really incredibly uplifting and wonderful. Thank you. I just appreciate it because I want to hear what that means. Like you know, Sean and I were talking earlier about like being a playwright and and what those like milestones are for you, and like how that how these awards can do so much more for you than just the recognition. Like it can help you pay your bills. Like you know what I mean? Like there's so um, uh, supporting playwrights and supporting our artists are really important because that that award does help you in many different ways. And so then just knowing how it, it emotionally affected you to be able to receive the award is just really, I was curious. And so thank you for answering that yeah, question. Absolutely. And also to the rest of your point, I definitely also did bring in material resources. It was really helpful to have that prize stipend at the beginning of the pandemic <laughs> when the theater world dried up. And you know, the, the recognition of a national award, especially one with such a recognizable name, especially one that playwrights like Christopher Diaz have won, you know, <laughs> people like those people as an early career writer is so valuable. And so, yeah, you know, in addition to just how marvelous it felt at the time, um, it, it also really did tangibly impact the way that my play was being talked about because suddenly it was like multiply award-winning dream house and not just like this little play that I was holding onto in my first year of grad school. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's and beautiful. first year of grad school, you're already like award-winning. <laughs> That's what's up. This <laughs> was the first play that I wrote in grad school. Wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. 
Well, so you sorry, know, Sean. Thank you. I just no, no, no. That was the, that was the best part of the show so far. I'm so glad <laughs> that you did it. Yeah. Um, but we do have other exciting guests that are on today. Before we bring out the winner and we officially pass the crown over from Eliana <laughs> to Rachel, I would like to bring on um, one of our wonderful panelists, uh, Tiani. So please come on out. Hello. Hi, Hi. Tiani. <laughs> Um, and so I would like Elaine to kind of talk about how our relationship blossomed with Tiani and, and what it was like being a part of the selection committee. And so I just wanted to give you this opportunity before we, and then give you an opportunity to talk about um, why you love Black Mexicans so much. And then we can definitely bring on Rachel okay. after that. Great. Well, I met Tiani online. I believe it was a Facebook group called mm -hmm. Theater Folks of Color. And Tiani's uh, partner had an opportunity at the U of A to have a job. And Tiani wanted to know what theater life would be like. And we just yeah. connected immediately. Um, and I expressed to Tiani, we, I don't know how early on we got on the phone and we started talking about what theater Pretty was like quick, in Arizona. Please. And you know, from the second I met Tiani, I wanted to include her in our world uh, here at ATC and beyond in our community here in Arizona. Um, and it's just been, you know, I feel so fortunate that Tiani came here. I hope that it all pays back <laughs> that I told the truth because I really value her so very much. And she's just whip smart. <laughs> and real, I really have enjoyed her feedback tell on, that I'm like, on reading oh, with us at ATC. And, yeah, you talk now. <laughs> No, 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 I good. love that you're blushing. That's so great. <laughs> so thank you for moving to you know Arizona and then jumping right in. <laughs> well, I think Tiani was still uh, not even here yet and reading, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I started reading before we even got here. I was like in between packing boxes. I'm like, she's like, try. You have time for a few words. I'm, I'm reading plays. And it was it was great. It was a great welcome. I was already feeling like I was being welcomed in, into the community. I think the first conversation I had with Elaine lasted a couple of hours. Like we just instantly connected. You know, you meet those people and you just feel like you've known each other forever. And Elaine was pretty much what sealed the deal, at least for me. <laughs> Come here. So no pressure, Elaine. But um, because it was like, I don't know about Arizona. It's it's hot and it's hot and it's desert. And I'm a, you know, I'm a green plant person and mild weather. I'm from the Bay Area, you know, we like it mild. But no, I've I've had a great intro. It's great to be connected with this theater, like, you know, to be here and to feel so just welcome. And I've enjoyed I enjoyed reading all the plays. I uh, when I read Black Mexican, I had never read anything like that either about I don't want to t talk too much about, you know, what's in it yet before she gets there. Um, but in terms of the content, the things, the things that it that it touches on, which are very, very just relevant right now. They're they're subject of the moment, but also are universal and extend beyond um, the 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 con the context of the play. There's just so I could already see in my head, like I'm a director, and that's how I think. Like, how do I visualize this? What do I want around it? How do I put this in context? And I could already see like talkbacks happening just because of the topics that it brings up and engaging the audience and making them ask questions and making them just even think about some of these things in a way that uh, they may not have. So I don't want to, like I said, you can tell me how much I can or can't say, but we haven't discussed it yet. So 
Well, it's a perfect segue to bring out Rachel. So Eliana, I'm actually going to have you introduce Rachel Lynette and have her come in and officially give your passing of the torch to our newest winner <laughs> of the National Latinx Playwright Award. Hi, Rachel. Come on. I don't, I don't know how to tell me. I don't no, know. You did great. Congratulations to you. We're so grateful to have you on. Uh, just so our patrons can get to know you a little bit better. Rachel, if you don't mind doing just like a brief little introduction to who you are uh, and, and the kind of writer that you are, some of the works you've done, so we can just celebrate you for a moment. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. I'm so happy uh, that Black Mexican resonated so much. I was sitting here listening uh, to Tiani and I like, was like, don't cry. She hasn't even gotten specific yet. Um, so, <laughs> um, I am Rachel Lynette. I'm a playwright mostly. I do a little bit of everything like most theater artists, but I'm primarily a playwright. Um, I, some other plays of mine, um, Apologies to Lauren Hansberry, uh, you two. Mm -hmm. August Wilson, I forgot the own title of my own play, um, and Well-Intentioned White People. Uh, so yeah, I've got like a wide range. I tend to write about identity and politics and queerness. Uh, I like to say that I like to write about complicated, messy women of color who make the wrong choices. And that's something that I've always been very drawn to. I don't like saints and I don't like villains. I like people who are complicated. And so that's what I like to write about. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I think that's a way to go into what you're play is about because it does really encapsulate all of those things that you have shared. And so for everyone just giving like a quick little bitty synopsis of Black Mexican and what and what it's about. Yeah, I'm so bad at trying to talk about what it's about because it's so personal. But um, Black Mexican, it starts, what starts off the play is a student questions whether or not professor is Cuban or not. And then that launches into the discovery of who gets to be included in Latinidad, who gets excluded and why. And so we have characters who are Dominican and Haitian. We have a character who's Belizean who's trying to figure out, does she count? Does she get to be included or not? While also having a character who we're trying to discover, is she actually Cuban or is she lying? Um, so that's Black Mexican as vague and quickly as I can do it. No, no, that's good. You don't want to give it away. You don't want to give everything <laughs> I think it was Edward Albee who used to say, I wrote the whole play, so I don't have to synopsize it because the whole play is what the story is, actually. <laughs> and he used to like say that in a really snippy way, and everybody's like, okay. <laughs> but there is something that there's a reason you articulate the whole story, and it's so beautifully told. And, you know, when I saw what had happened with Jessica Krug at uh, George Washington University, my first thought was, I should write a play about this. And then my second thought was, no, I shouldn't. I'm not the one to write this play, but Rachel, you were. And when I found your play, it was like it was like a wish that went out into the universe and you heard it and you caught it. And then you were holding the star and you brought it back to us. And it was just to me, that was just the most gratifying feeling. Like, you know, I knew that play had to happen. And there you wrote it. It was just insane and just so beautiful. Thank you. I was so mad. So I was catching a star on fire. <laughs> it was oh, yeah. That wrote it. Um, but yeah, thank you. There's definitely, there's a lot of passion. You can feel it in the writing. I mean, I liked your note even at the beginning of the play that, you know, that I wrote this in, uh, in one day and what it was about. And it's like, uh-oh, somebody's in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote it in a day? That's amazing. I wrote it in a day. I was real mad. 
<laughs> Wait, so like, like start, start to finish, you got up in the morning, you sat down to write, and by the end of the day, you had a first draft? Yeah, I, I typically write pretty fast, as you go ahead and say. It usually takes me about um, a day. I wrote this one in eight hours. Wow. Um, I just kind of sit in a corner and surround myself with snacks and angry eat while I write. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. So it's great for our audience. Like new plays are in all different moments in their life, right? So like where where is your play today? Is it is it really fresh at the beginning? Have you had a couple of readings? Do you feel like it's it's near the end? Where do you feel like it is today? I feel like it's um I'm a writer, so I like an analogy. I feel like it's not near the beginning. We've been on this trip for a while, but there's still about three more exits before I'm home, before I'm ready for a production. Um, and so it has been developed a little bit. I really want to keep exploring. For me, what's really important to look at right now is character development. I really want to make sure that the character, whether or not we're questioning whether or not she's Cuban, that you don't immediately hate her. Um, so that's something I'm really trying to explore, but also there's a complicated sister relationship in the play as well. And so I feel like I've got the, the beats out and right now it's just really making fun that no actor comes to this play and is like, well, the playwright hates me. You know, I feel like as an actor, you have a role that's complicated where you can find the morality. And so um, that's what I'm making sure is there now at this point. Mm. Two more exits before it's ready, I think. Like us not knowing until we have to know is what I'm hearing. And I love that as a thought. That's a beautiful thought. Like, you know, like how you sustain the intrigue and how you sustain the mystery. Um, that's a beautiful question that I think you're sitting with. That's, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I would like to pose a question to all the playwrights in the room, which I believe is Elaine, Rachel, Eliana, Sean. Tiani, do you write? Not, not yet, well? but um, I'm kind of inspired to write because of reading Elaine's work and reading Rachel's work and all the other plays. But no, not not as of yet. In my notes only. Well, and, and me, me neither as of yet. Sean is always trying to make me write my life story. <laughs> so I'll be a playwright sooner or later. Um, but no, I just wanted to pose a question because eight hours seems like such a short amount of time. Um, so I would like to see like what what are all of your processes like? How long have you worked on a work on a work that you've been really passionate about? And how much time do you typically know this is like the first draft? I'm super impressed by eight hours, Rachel. You're so cool. Like that's, <laughs> I think that's amazing. Um, I, I I feel like it's for me at least varies process by process. Like. I think I think that happened to me once that I had like a, a like one one shot <laughs> uh, experience with the drafts. Dreamhouse I wrote in three weeks because it was grad school and that was how they decided to roll it out. They had us all come in on the first day with an idea and we were all like, "Here's my idea! I'm so excited!" And they were like, "Amazing! It's due in three weeks." Wow, that's what you get. <laughs> um, so, like, that, that play came out really quickly because of the deadline, um, but then it, it took a lot of rewriting and it was a long time before things emerged. Um, it's interesting to hear you, Rachel, say that you feel like the beats are there. Um, funny enough, in all of the versions of Greenhouse that I ever wrote, the structure never changed. Like mm -hmm. scene by scene, what happens in each spot, like I, I feel pretty drawn to structure intuitively as a writer and like the, the basic structure never changed, but sister space didn't come about until draft seven. Um, 
So like devices came later, but the shape of it never changed. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like I would say I do one to three days. I mean, I do it pretty fast. And what I normally do is I realize that the play has a sense of continuity when you don't break the time and that mm. it has a conversation with itself. And that what you're trying to do, if you do take a break in the middle of writing a first draft, is get back into a conversation that you're not in anymore. And so you have to find a way to like trick your brain into the moment. And so the trick for me is not looking at what I wrote before, which is really terrifying. Because what playwrights will do is they'll rewrite the opening like 50 times. And then they've been polishing the opening and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden they're in a, an analysis mode when they're still supposed to be in a creative first draft mode. So what I try to do is say, I'm not allowed to fix anything, change anything, go backwards. It's only moving forward. So as long as I can trick myself into that, I can have a couple of days to get that draft. And then I can go into my analysis brain and do my revisions. And so I feel like I'm really fast to write a first draft and then I do tons of rewriting <laughs> because I love the process. And I think that, you know, we have to figure out like, where does the play really start? Where does it really end? You know, what what is excessive or where was I just BSing my way so I had pages and now I need to get rid of that extra stuff. <laughs> like there's all that stuff that you have to do. And I think, like, it's all about getting honest. Every draft is about getting more and more honest mm -hmm. about what really belongs in the play and what doesn't. I love that. Okay, Sean. You know, I think what we're learning here is that Rachel is an Olympic sprinter, right? Because even, the rest of us are going to say, like, I'm quick. And I'm quick as in it takes five days, like eight hours is, you know, <laughs> impressive. But, you know, I guess for me, it's like, um, even though I feel like I'm quick, there are like weeks of working it out in my head. And then when, then when it's ready, it comes out quick. But I think it takes a long time of trying to figure out what am I trying to say? Um, what am I terrified of actually writing? You know, what, 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 what's the version that I think everybody would like and then realizing that's no good. Like, what am I actually terrified to be able to put out there? And, and then when I'm a little nervous, then I think it comes out and it comes out quick, but eight hours is, that's a whole other, like I'm JV and that's <laughs> right there going at those speeds to be able to do it. I think the I, subconscious know, like writes the play and then you just go and pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like well, I think that, by the time you sit like down I'm... to write a play, it probably already exists somewhere. And it's yeah. really just like tapping into the story, tapping into what's already there. I mean, I always think that like there's a there, I had one experience one time that was really crazy where I was on a residency to write a play and I was really exhausted from another residency and I sat down to write and I saw the play typed out of the corner of my eye. Wow. And I was like, I don't know if that's some dead playwright taking advantage of me, but I'm just gonna. <laughs> so I did it that way. I did the whole play, just taking dictation. <laughs> yeah, crazy. well, and so, and so Rachel, I'm curious. Like in eight hours, like when you sat down, did you know how it ends? Did you know where it goes, or you're mm -hmm. just you're just like in a transcendental moment, like it's just coming out of you onto the page. Yeah, I really don't like to, I don't like to outline. I don't like to think. I, I really like what Elaine said is that like, I just don't, I don't read backwards. I don't question. I just go on the journey. And sometimes the play is great. And sometimes I'm done and I'm like, what's this hot mess I wrote? Um, so it's not always a great play, but I am someone that just likes to see, I trust my characters. I feel like I'm a character driven playwright and I just like to see where they take me. 
And then that's when I really love working with actors to help me. I'm also very um, structure minded. So it's very easy for me to just pick a structure. But I also noticed that I got into a habit of like, my plays happen over three days because that's how mm -hmm. what happens when you write a play in eight hours. You're like, tomorrow. I to write, but I'm very slow to edit, <laughs> um, which that's where I get in trouble is like, I love creating something new, but whenever I have to edit, I'll just write a new play instead. <laughs> so now I have like a bunch of plays. <laughs> I have to edit Companies will be like, where's the edits? And I'll be like, what about this other play that I wrote? <laughs> that's, that's so fun, Rachel. I love that. I feel like I'm learning so much about playwriting in this moment. This is a master class for everybody watching. One of our uh, Facebook friends, uh, Howard Allen, said, gotta love playwrights talking process when it turns out to be a miracle, plain and simple. And and I think that that's really interesting because I don't know, I just always assume when Tony Kushner sat down, he must have sat down with like some huge long process and it could have been that he just sat down for eight hours and like yeah. turned out, you know, <laughs> a huge, huge play like Angels in America. So that's really interesting. You know, so I I love, think one of the things, oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say what I love, Rachel, is, is it sounds like you really have found your bliss space to be in. And I love that non-judgmental place. Like, I feel like that's the play. That's the way to be a prolific playwright is to step into a space where you're not judging and writing at the same time. And it sounds like you've mm -hmm. located that. And I think that's just the best advice. I think that so often, you know, when people think they're learning technique, they're really learning how they're really learning what they can't do more than what they can do. And I think what you're talking about is like, hey, I'm gonna trust my characters. I'm gonna sit with them and I'm gonna let them tell me their story. And I think that's really beautiful. And that's like gorgeous advice for any playwrights out there because you know, it's really easy to pick up a book on playwriting and be told like, okay, here are the rules. And the rules don't do anything but make life hard <laughs> for a playwright. <laughs> And they shrink visions. And so I, I love that you're so in the moment with your writing. That's such a, it's just a gorgeous thing. Yeah, I really, I really do believe you can't edit and write at the same time. I, 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 when I taught playwriting, I, that's something I always say on the first day. You cannot edit and write at the same time or else you're going to hit writer's block. Um, so, yeah, and like I said, not everything's gold. You know, I have two different shows that just are going to die on my laptop and that's fine. Like, and I think learning to be okay with that, like knowing that, I took a swing and a miss, and I'll, <laughs> that's okay. Um, I think so. that's a good life philosophy in general because I think we all have that judgy person that sits there, you know, and saying you can't do this or that's stupid or let's analyze this instead of that keeps us from being in the moment and being present. I think that's all of the the worry, all of the guilt, all of that other kind of stuff. So to be able to do that, I agree with Elaine, is a real gift to be able to be present and just let it go without judging yourself or any filters. So kudos. So let's talk about, the, oh, sorry, about, about the moment that we're in right now, though, because I think as a Black woman, although I'm not Afro-Latina, as a Black woman being the African side of that, like when I read your story immediately, I was like, Rachel Dolezal, like, oh my gosh, like what, <laughs> like, like these are, I know, we've seen these people in the in the news and we've, or we've witnessed them in person, you know, someone trying to assimilate to my culture in a way that is offensive. Um, and so when I read it, I was like, yes, 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 this is a part of the conversation that genuinely needs to be had. I mean, even with um, the last uh, NLPA winner, uh, um, Benjamin Ben, his play actually wasn't originally cast with with women that were, um, that identify as Afro-Latina, but the director decided to do that and we cast two Afro-Latina actresses 
to be able to do Alma that we showcased last year. And so there is this conversation about, you know, uh, the, the issues with colorism that are within the, the community. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because that is very much of right now of the moment of anybody that's watched In the Heights and the criticism that In the Heights is getting where our characters are literally from the Dominican Republic and they do not look like they're from the Dominican Republic. And so I just want to open that up to why that fueled that fury of eight hours for you um, to be able to get that on the page and how that extends in the rest of your work or in, in your existence and how you feel as a playwright. Yeah, it's funny. So with, um, with Rachel Dolezal, when that happened, I was like, oh, this woman's just lost her mind. Like, I'm not trying to be, you know, I was just like, okay. Like, she, she's changed her name from her slave name. She took a deep dive. There's no saving this person. And I just didn't have the same visceral response. And I think why is because my blackness has never been questioned. Is no one's ever looked at me and gone, you're not black. But when right. Jessica Krug did it, and she did it as an Afro-Latina, that pissed me off because my Latinoness is constantly questioned all the time. Mm. And it's like, well, yes, my mom's born in Belize, but her parents are Mexican. So like, what do you want me to do about that? Like, does that still not count? Why? Racism. Great. So it was when I was like, I realized the reason why that upset me so much more was because this is an identity that was questioned for me, but no one questioned her. And that she didn't choose to be Latina, she specifically chose to be Afro-Latina. And that is an extra step of cruelty to me. And so I really wanted to like, why do we let Hillary Baldwin get away with this? I forgot how to say it in English nonsense. Like why do we let people, and is it our obsession with whiteness and how is that destroying our cultures? And just like, who, who are we excluding and who are we letting in? And I really wanted to explore that. And even though this is specific to to me, like me, not like you said, I think it explore it's cross cultural. There are lots of people that look at this and say, "Why are we letting these people in and other people aren't?" But for me, what because yeah, Rachel Dolezal, no one's ever questioned if I'm black. Like it was fine. But with Jessica Craig, I was like, "Oh, blank, no, I won't curse." But I did when I read it. So, <laughs> um, and that, and it's literally because I've had to defend my, like when I went to Costa Rica and I was speaking Spanish and they were like, why, why do you speak Spanish? And it's like, cause I was raised, like, why am I still being questioned so much? And um, so that was different. I think it's we, the gatekeeping in our communities. And it's funny cause I wrote two plays back to back that explore gatekeeping, but black Mexicans feels really personal and um, important just because I think we need to think about it. Well, thank you for that vulnerability. Like it's huge. Um, to speak from a true place of reference, like I think if I were to sit down and try to write something, you write about what you know, right? Or what you experience. Um, and so when you were explaining your process with this play after the, hearing the news, I was like, I understand how that could fuel so much. But this also talks about how huge the um, diaspora really is and how it reaches, right? Because this is an award that is given to a Latinx playwright, but that does cover so many different experiences, right? Um, I feel like this is such a poor comparison, so forgive me, but like I grew up uh, being in quinceañeras and, and dancing to like cumbia, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I got old enough to go to the clubs and go to the salsa clubs, I tried to dance cumbia to salsa or merengue, and you can't do that. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, so I remember like being schooled, a young 19-year-old Janelle, that like the Latinidad is so different. And and like with the Dominican Republic, like, you know, bachata is their dance, you know what I mean? And like, and why is it specific to, to this 
this ethnic group. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Like I felt like my world had opened and, and it was through dance, right? So the power of, of theater being able to change and communicate that and show those different stories and why they're all still under the same umbrella, but uniquely beautiful and different. I just applaud you for your work and more playwrights, I just hope really emerge that are willing to have this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really felt like when we received the play, it was such an important conversation that was already happening in the Latinx community. And just to mm -hmm. see the, how your play hit that moment, you know, how um, anti-Blackness in the Latinx community is, a, is an ongoing conversation that has been, you know, obviously heightened during this pandemic. And I was like, oh my God, this play is just so perfectly meeting this conversation and a human experience and a story that you know, it's, it's so ignored and, and needs to be seen. And so I'm so proud that we could recognize it and expand people's idea of Latinidad, that Latinidad is not a monolithic thing. That right. it's, you know, and I think that that is what we want to say. And I just feel like by supporting Black Mexican, we're really saying we see the breadth of Latinidad. And, you know, I was mortified by her story as well, but it was different than your mortification, I'm sure. Like, I, I can I can only imagine how frustrating it would be to feel like what I'm not seeing, but you're going to see this person who's a fake. That's just that's crushing. And what a what a place to write a play from. What a fire. I love it. I just love that you you just took the step of writing the piece and trusted your characters um, and their complexity and their messiness and all of it. Thank you. And also, like I spoke to Eliana's piece, Rachel, I also see this piece being something that could be picked up as a series, you know? I'm like, Netflix, do you hear us talking to you today? We have two beautiful players that you have more than five. And, oh, but if you do get picked up, you're welcome, right? Right, but no, but like there's such like, I love work that can transcend many platforms because that's how you reach a larger amount of people. I mean, I think theater is very personal to me and very specific. I tried to do film. Film is not really my bag as an actress, as an artist, that being a part of my artistry. Um, there's just something about theater that speaks to me in a deeper way than film ever could. But just knowing though that your work could expand across multiple platforms, that gives multiple people access to what you're trying to say, you know, and really hearing your message. And so I'm just really excited about what the history is for both of you and your, and your pieces and what that means as you move forward. You know, I'm excited for all the conversations that this is going to start for everybody who comes in contact with it. Rachel, do you have specific uh, like questions that you hope people mm. are living with after they experience your play, whether in a workshop or in a production form? Like, what are you what are you hoping on the ride home? Uh, not in a talk back because it doesn't happen there. But on the ride home when, you know, what do you hope that is still lingering with them and what conversations are started that hadn't been there before? I really hope um, it's funny because it has started in some of the talkbacks have gotten interesting. They've oh. <laughs> gotten very interesting. Uh, so I just, I really hope that like access to culture, who has access to culture? What does that access look like? What happens when it's not your culture? What I think something I have thought about a lot is like, and it's been said already is Latinidad represents like what, 40 countries? Like that's a lot of very different very very different countries that are all fitting under this one umbrella like and that's something that i really want to talk about like do we count our filipinos latino like that's kind of brought up towards the end of the play like 
How are we defining this? And it are we defining it fairly? Are we using a colonized definition? Um, so I really hope that those are the conversations. I do not have answers to those questions. And I feel like many people are like, answer them. I'm like, I don't know. I didn't do this. <laughs> um, but I, that's what I hope is just who has access to culture and thinking about maybe some cultures that we think we deserve access to that we don't um, and exploring that as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Like there is definitely a movement to dis dismantle the concept of Latina as a colonization and as a thought like that. And and it's interesting, you know, I, I have appreciated the unity of the concept of Latinidad mm -hmm. and, you know, and the relationships that I have forged as a result of that. So I'm not ready to have the dismantling conversation in this moment. Um, you know, I don't know what would happen to our award, you know, to this particular endeavor that we do here. Um, I'd rather just keep expanding our perceptions as opposed to, say you know throw the whole thing out that's where i am at least yeah you know one i agree sorry Good. one of the other um kind of just something in the play that i noticed and and was so happy to see and i don't see it enough is the normalization of a, of a queer relationship where it's just that's where it just happens to be and there's no like and now we're gonna yay we're gay or it's all about the struggles with you know all of this putting in the, no, in no. The, but like just having that be the thing and having it be oh you know it's not it's not talked about it's not something that we need to focus on or have it be a separate issue and that was really beautiful to see and just a way that you get people to start i mean i talk about that kind of thing and, and what I want to do in my work and having these things that are seen as issues or as as identities just be normalized as these are people and this is their mm -hmm. lives and their focus is not on one tiny aspect of their being of who they happen to be. So I want to thank you for that. Thanks. Yeah, I try to make that the standard in my play. Uh, queerness is the standard. Usually it's hard to find a straight person. So um, just because I feel like a lot of plays, it's hard to find a queer person. Well, like you said, it's not all about queerness. And so I, I decided to flip it until that changes. But thank you mm -hmm. for, for pointing that out. And I love the problem so. you give them. <laughs> it's a great problem. <laughs> I would like to speak to on, on who you write for, though, for a moment. Because I, I, I think if I ever do write, I think my artist's brain would also be like, well, what are roles that are missing for women of my type, right? Like that might little spurn me to have that idea of who I write for. So as you have written, I know, Elaine, I mean, you've written a million plays. <laughs> and, so, and they're all over from very many various beautiful perspectives. Um, but, but what is like your mission as a playwright of the types of stories that you want to tell specifically? And I know, Rachel, you already shared that it is definitely from the queer uh, Latinx um, perspective, but can you expand on that just a little bit? My playwrights in the room about what your mission is of the of what the roles that you are running to write about. Yeah, I can go. Am I going first? I don't know. I, I never know. Um, okay, so um, I can go pretty quickly. I think that I write for and who I write to are very different. Um, I write for people who I think haven't been represented on stage and who haven't been able to see their stories in a real way. Uh, I'm constantly thinking of what story have I not seen on stage and how can I, stories that I have the right to tell, because there are stories I don't have the right to tell, um, okay. stories within my right to tell, how can I make sure that I'm constantly representing my various communities? 
Um, the people that I write to, however, is different. I recognize that many audiences are primarily white um, upper class. And so what I like to say is that if you walk into, if you walk around the world comfortable, I want my place to make you a little bit uncomfortable. But if you walk, if you occupy the world as someone who's usually uncomfortable, I want you to be comfortable for a moment. So I try to make it my place where I'm constantly challenging the majority while giving a safe space for people who spent so much time being uncomfortable. I love that. Thank you. That's beautiful. And I'm going to go to you. And then after, when we go through this, I do want to hear about these scandalous talkbacks. Yeah. Yeah, because you know we could go around the room, but let's get back to the scandalous talk because I, I do want to hear about like, what, like what, yeah, what what happened that made you clock that as uh, you know how people respond. Yeah. Wait, do you want to hear about that now? Sure. Yeah. Let's yeah. Yeah. Now. Let's yeah, hear about, now I want to know. Yeah. I do want to hear everybody else's. Okay, I'll be very very fast. Um, the talkbacks. There was a lot of uh, conversation about um, well, what are we supposed to do? I, people have asked, should we just get rid of a Latin that? I'm like, no, I don't think that's the solution. Mm -hmm. um, another one was someone was talking about, there was like a weird derailment in one of them where a woman who was white had adopted a black son and she was like, well, what do I do? And I was like, I don't, this is not the moment. Like, I don't. <laughs> and so it just really kind of people, no matter what their um, ethnic identity was, it just certainly became, well, like, how do I do this? And it's like, I don't, I just wrote the play to start the conversation. Please see a therapist. Um, I can help you with this problem. Uh, so yeah, it, it really sparked, which is, I think it's great for place to do, but it really did spark a conversation about identity cross-culturally, cross everything. Um, and the talkbacks got pretty heated. <laughs> so like people upset with each other, upset with you? They were inspired. I was, have been told that I presented problems with no answers and that does not help. And I was like, that's not my job. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell us what to do. That's yeah. insanity. Oh, and one other thing that I loved about it, and I think just because when you, there are a lot of people, especially when you're peeking, speaking of people of, who are of African descent, is to, to focus on someone Someone in the play has been in jail or someone in the play is a recovering alcoholic or comes from a broken home. And the focus mm -hmm. is on like all of this trauma that, and that becomes kind of a central piece. And these are a bunch of women in, in education Educated. and not, you know, right. not mm -hmm. teachers at the, at, the, at the local hood school, but who have, you know, who have, who all have advanced degrees, who are all respected in their fields and in their communities. Mm -hmm. And that's also normalized. It's not like hey, you're the first, you mm -hmm. know, Afro-Latina professor of art. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, working on a grant and getting all of these things that they are just respected people in their fields because they're all respected people in their fields and they're accepted as such. And there's no big deal made about them, you know. I'm I'm the pioneer, you know. I'm the I'm the first match, and so it's it's great for me to see just more those kind of things normalized. That, mm -hmm. that struck a chord with me also. I'm so glad you brought that up, Tayana, because that was the first mm -hmm. observation I made, and I was like, oh, all right, come through, educated. And now now I'm into this read, and I was like, ooh, things are getting messy. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's awesome. It's just so awesome not to be thrown into those other spaces and to just be in the space of these folks and have a different experience and um, not write to people's expectations. I think that's what you're doing. And, and I think that's a really powerful move. Thank you. So let's say that you're watching this and you're an artistic director or a literary manager and you think like, Rachel sounds amazing. I would love to read more of their work. How does one do that? Um, all my plays are on New Play Exchange, the ones that are allowed to be. Um, if not, uh, email me. Uh, you can just contact me through New Play Exchange. My reps are on there too. Um, but I, I'm, it's easy to find. I've got, I've got a few that are out and about. But um, New Play Exchange is the easiest way to get to me. And what is New Play Exchange for people that don't know? It's a database that everyone should go to now and pay the $10 a year. It's cheaper than Netflix. <laughs> and it is full of brand new plays with amazing new playwrights, um, many of whom are just, I mean, it's its the best thing. It's Netflix for playwrights, I think, is the best way for people to know. And um, you get to just download plays and read them and recommend them if you love them. And like I said, it's not expensive at all. $10 a year. Is I think. I think you should also mention that you have your own, you know, web page. <laughs> I do. I do have a website. It needs to be updated. Uh, it's rich. Yeah. I googled you. I, I googled you. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. I also have a website. And you can contact me there. I think your website's great. I also, I also <laughs> think that. it's a beautiful website. Yeah. And and it needs to be updated because I'm writing, right? <laughs> I love that. What a great excuse. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so as we get closer to wrapping up, because we're only doing it for, well, I'm going to give um, Eliana and Elaine a chance to answer the question, who, who do you write for? And what is that part of your mission statement? I mean, I'm so, uh, Rachel, I really want to read this play so badly. It sounds like we have a lot of overlap. Okay. Um, I'm mixed. I'm black, white, and Puerto Rican. Uh, and so a lot of that sort of like strange identity categories, uh, different things in different spaces, spaces, like like lots of, so much of what you were talking about really resonates with me, of course, from a different inflection point, but like, I really, and I want to read the play so badly. Um, and I'm also queer and all of those communities are also sort of like part of the matrix of what I'm interested in in my work. Um, I write a lot about class and capitalism and, and the relationship between upward mobility and culture, like attacking culture, investment in culture, abandoning culture, embracing culture conveniently, all of those sort of like everything in that constellation. Um, and I'm always interested in, like we've all been saying, sort of putting more folks on stage that we don't typically get to see on stage. And lately I've been really interested in telling sort of writer stories. During the pandemic, I found myself craving um, hopeful content. I don't know what you, what you were saying, um, Tiani, about not wanting trauma at the sort of core of marginalized identities to always be the thing that is being presented first and foremost really resonated. I loved that point. And I think that's also something that I'm much more invested in. Like identity is a point of celebration and opportunity and connection rather than a point of It's wonderful. Thank you so much. And Elaine? You know, I'm, in, I'm so drawn to like living in two worlds and what that is and how, how my point of view from my, and how I see the intersection of being Mexican-American and this bigger 
world in which I swim and, and how often I feel like I'm in a different place and how I have a foot in both countries. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I would say my work really started there, but as it has evolved over time, I've really become a playwright who just wants to tell the truth and be brutally honest and about what I see about injustice. What And, and I always feel like the Latina point of view is there because I'm me. I don't have to like put it on any way. I don't have to say it has to be this. Just because of who I am, the plays will represent that point of view. And so I give myself a really big canvas at this point to tell many things that excite me and interest me. And, but I really have a heart for justice and I love lyrical work. I love language and, and I trust actors. <laughs> I mean, I always feel like I have this very deep relationship with actors when I write and that I always think there's like this cerebral ensemble. And so I'm writing for those actors in my head and, and hearing them. And I feel like, like there are actors that don't even know they're in my head. They don't even know they're in the ensemble. Like they haven't even learned that yet. We, we haven't had that chance to work together, but they're there and they inspire me. And so, and one of my friends told me that he even works with actors once they've passed on, which I think is really beautiful. Uh, Eugene Lee told me that. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that there's like, um, you know, I feel like as we continue to write and keep writing, we should let ourselves be taken by many characters and stories. And although we want to know our voice, we want to know what it can be. And so I'm still learning me. Gorgeous. Thank you. And Sean, before you transition us to words, I would love to hear about like who you write, like what stories resonate with you that you like to write about. You know, I, I guess as a director and a writer, it's all the same things. I love dangerously honest theater. I think there is, we have such, like we're in the room with people when it gets performed. And I feel like that is so, when someone is on stage and it feels like they have shared something that is scary for them, that's, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's our medium's advantage. That's not a TV thing. That's not a film thing. There is somebody on stage and you really feel like, this moment is scary for all of us, but mostly for the person who's sharing it. So I always feel dangerous. Dangerous honesty is my favorite thing. And then there was, there's a quote that someone said to me, if you want to write a good play, write something that uh, you don't want the audience to know about you. And if you want to write a great play, write about something you don't want to know about yourself. And I feel mm -hmm. like that, that has always stayed with me in terms of like, that's, that's the scary, messy stuff we respond to, right? Because all of our lives, are a hot mess, you know? And so just to be able, when you see someone on stage that's really truly going through that, you're like, oh, okay, that I, I'm with you. Yeah, this is, and that's why I love, you know, Rachel's writing and I love what Rachel's saying about writing messy characters. Like mm -hmm. every single person in my life, in my real life is a messy character, right? So when I, you know, including my three-year-old daughter. So, you know, when I see people on stage, that are that way, I feel like that's what theater does, right? That's like, you feel a little less alone in that moment when you see mm -hmm. someone who has anything close to what that is. And so that's why I feel like Rachel has done so beautifully and I, I can't wait for the world. That's why I want everyone to go to her website. That's why I want her to update her website and then everyone to go to it so that, that more people can be able to get in touch with that. Because I feel like for me, that's what theater is about. That's what, that's what makes it different from anything else. 
Well, you all have been such beautiful guests this wonderful Friday afternoon. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking time to come and spend with ATC. Uh, as you can see, the, the notes section is blowing up. People are loving this conversation um, because I think it's real. And, and to also hear your process and to hear uh, why, you know, what makes you tick and what makes you playwrights. And thank you for all the jumping in. Um, and thank you for just being here. So with that in mind, we always have our guests leave us with a word. And I know that Eliana knows this because Eliana did this last time. Um, <laughs> ask all of our guests to leave us with one word that resonates with you right now in this moment that you're in. You need to hear about this on Hanging Focus today or in your life in general. Um, so what is one word that is resonating with you as you move forward? And I'll actually start with uh, Tiani. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I have a second? <laughs> There's so many words. I've got like... 80 in my head right now. <laughs> uh, uh, resilience, I think, right now. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Is there any particular reason why resilience in, you know, that you'd like to uh, share? It's, it's been to the ability to be able to, to adapt to all of the the things that life throws at you and to keep going and to learn from that. It's, it's like, I, I look at the, like the scars in my body and they all mean that I've overcome something. I've overcome something hurtful and painful. And so it's like, I wear them. I've got mm -hmm. plenty <laughs> and they all, and, and or bruises or anything that kind of like, you made it through that. You can keep going. You can do those kinds of things. So I think, yeah, that's where I am right now. So. Okay, I'll call on you, Elaine. Oh yeah, um, I say expansion. Rachel expands with Black Mexican what people need to know about Latinidad. And I say that with such, such gratefulness, expansion. Let's keep expanding into who we are. Let's not write to other people's expectations. Let's write from our guts and our truth. Thank you. Eliana. I think my word is uplifted. This was so fun. I really loved hearing about Rachel's play and meeting everybody. I, I Wonderful. And last and certainly not least, Rachel. Uh, our winner of the award and our guest of honor. <laughs> I think my word is community. Um, I came to theater because I was looking for one. And I just, today has been really great, a great reminder of that. Um, I'm really excited to read Dreamhouse. Um, I haven't read it and I will immediately. <laughs> we'll definitely swap. Um, but I'm thankful for the community that is here, that I've been here, and just knowing that I'm part of the larger theater community as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for being on the show. Congratulations to both of you. We're honored to have you be a, uh, to let us be a small part of your plays, and we can't wait for all the success that's happening with them. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Now on to the call board. Call board for August 13th to August 19th, 2021. Hi, I'm assistant digital producer Alex Hollis. And thank you so much for joining us today, where Sean sat down with Ileana Pipes, 
Rachel Lynette, and Elaine Romero. Be sure to join us next Friday, August 20th at 4 p.m. Arizona time for another exciting guest on Hang & Focus Live. Now let's hear from The Giving Corner. Take it away, development. Hi, everybody. It's Paula Taylor, the Chief Development and Marketing Officer here at Arizona Theater Company. Today on our Giving Corner, I wanted to send a huge thank you to the H.S. Lopez Family Foundation for their generosity and support of our education programming. After a year and a half of no in-person education or theater for that matter, we are so thrilled to be able to use these funds to continue to engage our community of educators and of students. We so look forward to seeing all of you at the theater in the fall. And again, a huge thank you to the H.S. Lopez Family Foundation. See you next week. Thank you so much, Paula. Now it's time to find out what's happening at theaters around Arizona. All right, this week, let's head up to Phoenix. Starlight Community Theater is bringing us Footloose. This in-person event will be available to view until August 22nd. Check out more at starlightcommunitytheater.com. In partnership with the Marshall Chair Borderland Poetry Series and the ASU Center for Imagination in the Borderlands, Palabras Bilingual Bookstore is hosting a free virtual poetry workshop this Saturday, August 14th at 2 p.m. AZ time. To sign up, email info at palabrasbookstore.com. Now let's head down to Tucson. Life Theater Workshop is bringing us the standby Lear. This in-person event is available to see through August 28th. You can learn more at lifetheaterworkshop.org. Museum of Contemporary Art in Tucson is bringing us Pia Camille's three works. COVID-19 protocols are observed and you can learn more at mocha-tucson.org. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please tell a friend, pass it along, like us on Facebook and Instagram, Subscribe to us on YouTube, ring that bell so you can be notified when we air live and to see our latest content. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we look forward to seeing you next week.